This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. This is not a political sermon by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm aware that it could be interpreted that way. Um, we live in a day and time when we talk about politics, or the talk of politics is very polarizing. Uh, the, the good thing is that uh, when you go to, whether it be grad school or uh, undergrad, or if you read a lot, you'll, you'll begin to understand that most of our thoughts that we have when it comes to particular issues are not necessarily ours, meaning they didn't originate from us. Um, there was a guy in the past whose name was Descartes, and he had the phrase, I think, therefore I am. And the reason why he came to that conclusion was because of this. He realized that he had been inundated by a system of thinking that was not his. And he had, in a sense, taken to be true others' thoughts. Now, I don't know if he ever really truly escaped uh, the influence of other people's thoughts, but I think he realized that the challenge of being a free thinker is making a distinction between what thoughts are yours And what thoughts are, in a sense, others that you've taken to be yours? It's a challenging thing. I remember when I went to seminary and I was in school, and I was told, be careful what you learn. And the way I was able to help fight against thoughts that I didn't think were necessarily biblical was reading a gentleman whose name is Francis Schaeffer. You may not know Francis Schaeffer, but he's my philosophical underpinnings, basically. Uh, he's the guy that helps me and helped me put together a worldview that gives me the ability to understand what's happening. And because I read a gentleman named Francis Schaeffer and continue to read him when I do have time, I'm able to take a thought and understand that not only it comes from somewhere else, but it has a logical conclusion. Every thought or idea has a conclusion. Every one. When it comes to different policies that are being passed by government, there is a thought that started that policy that affects our culture. And because of those thoughts or policies or the ability to resource or not resource, it influences and it affects how we live our life. Now, sadly, I believe the church has been caught up in the political war that is affecting our culture. Conversations can't even happen. And without the conversation, at least in our culture, healing or understanding can even take place. So we as Christians, how do we engage this public discourse? What do we do? Now, if you see here me at Endurance Church, I haven't just jumped into political foray. Because I don't think that's necessarily what God wants me to do at this particular time. 
You you know the emphasis. But I do believe that eventually that will be a big part of our church. We will talk about every area under the sun. We'll speak out against injustice because that's biblical. And we will speak up for orthodox interpretation of the Scripture. There's been this distinction throughout the church now, say probably the last 70 years, between what is considered orthodox biblically and what is considered progressive. Now, you may know the different terminologies if it's liberal or conservative, but the trick is that those terms don't even come into Christianity. There is no conservative Christian. There's no liberal. Those, those are French revolutionary terms brought into the church. There's only heretical and orthodox, meaning when you see the Scripture the way God intended or the way it is, you take it to be true or it's conveyed to be true, or if it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor. You take it as it is. But somehow, through academics, these political terms have influenced the church and separate us. So when we see different issues, we have to take sides because, not because we've jumped on the political bandwagon rather than standing on God's Word. It's a fight you have to have for yourself. That's why sometimes you see me opposed to different systematic theologies because they have oftentimes take the, taken the place of one political group or another. So that's why me here, I'm a biblical theologian. I take what the Scriptures say, and I don't try to systemize it per se. I just try to say, this is what Jesus is saying right here. Now, we need to deal with it. And today, we're going to discuss a topic that Jesus just dealt with. He just, he just engaged. Now, does God have a systematic theology? I, I, I can't say he does or he doesn't. But when I engage with my wife, I don't have a systematic way of engaging with her. I can't be efficient with my wife. I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm moody. You see how I did that? The married people got that one right there. Sometimes I'm just so moody. And as a result of my moodiness, it just doesn't work well being efficient. So I don't have a system in how I engage my wife. I, I, I engage her with my heart with my head, with my body. And I believe when we get to the end, we'll realize that that's how God wants us to engage with Him. Not based upon ideals, but this practical reality. God wants us to genuinely love Him, to hold Him. When the storms go up or they go down, God wants us to love Him the way He deserves to be loved. And we're going to jump in the text today to Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 through 25. I showed you a video of Iraq, and that exactly is where I was, in Erbil. Erbil became a safe haven for Christians who were being persecuted by ISIS. But the sad thing is a lot of those Christians had nobody outside of Iraq to take care of them, to help them. And because of that, they face hardships. Now, the sad thing is a lot of them to this very day are still facing hardships. When we talk about what's going on, we talk about refugees, we talk about that matter, that's a good, great political discussion that divides us. But understand there are Christians who are your brother and sister in Christ who have needs. And these people have no hope unless 
you reach out to them. And to me, that's the point of our faith. A lot of times we can get orthodox and we, we form this island. And we, and we say, you know what? Hey, I'm a Christian and I need to only hang around other Christians. Or you know how some people say, well, you know what? You associate with the five people. You, you take their uh, medium income and that's, that's going to be yours too. And you're like, what? That ain't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you to hang around the people who are good. The Bible says go into the world. Particularly, the Bible tells you to go to those people who are broken because they need the love of Christ. And if you only decide to go to the people who are just like you, economically, ethnically, socially, then you'll miss what God is trying to accomplish. Jesus Christ came down from heaven, and he went to those people who were broken. You know why he went to them? Because they received what he said. Think about it. When Jesus came, at the end, he ended up in front of kings, and that's when he was being judged. But before that, it was the poor the broken, the diseased, the the people who were demon-possessed who fled or who, in a sense, came to Jesus. They flocked to him, and Jesus Christ received them. Jesus Christ didn't show partiality, but he understood this one principle. It's the broken person who receives his words. You're going to see here in the Scripture today, floods of people came to him because he was meeting their needs their spiritual needs, their physical needs. He was healing people. He was making fish sandwiches. And people were like, yes, I want a fish sandwich. I want to be healed. But it was the person who was broken. That was the one who came and listened to his words. God is near those who are brokenhearted. That's exactly where he is. And if you think you're sufficient on your own, if you don't need God, then you know what? You're distant from him. Now, I'm not saying he's not calling out to everyone, but it's the broken person that has his pipeline right to the heart of God. And he's near you if right now you're struggling with brokenness. He's there. But if you think you don't need God, then what is he going to do? Jesus said he, he didn't come to help the healthy, but he came to help the, the sick. There's this principle that outlays the entire Bible. Those people who understand they're broken. Those people who realize they're not perfect, those are the ones that have the opportunity to receive God faster than anybody else. We don't have a lot of scriptures today, but actually one I think is important to us. Yes. Got a quote by Max Lucado. I remember. Now, this is a guy I recommend to everybody. When I was in a... For the uh, Viking reference, when I was playing for the... Who knew? (laughs) When I was playing for the Vikings, you play NFL football, you have more time than you would ever imagine. So you probably wake up like, I say probably 6, 7 o'clock, you go to the training facilities, and you work out, you lift weights, you run, you eat breakfast, and you do all these great things, and then you practice. And in pro football, it's all about practice. If you don't practice well, you don't get to play. But after that, the day ended at about 1, 2 o'clock. So you are a young man. 21, 22, 23, with a Q45 Infinity and a lot of time on your hands. Stop it now. <laughs> so what did I do with that time? I, I, I read Max Lucado, to be honest. Max Lucado carried me when I was in the NFL. If you are trying to grow in your faith, and I don't know where you are, but this is a guy, man, he has some great quality works out there. So I recommend him highly. I don't often recommend guys, but he's a safe person to read. And he has this quote. 
And he says, Jesus tends to his people individually. He personally sees to our needs. We all receive Jesus' touch. We experience his care. This is an important point for us. I think um, C.S. Lewis made a similar point. And I think his comments were in a sense that we think that God doesn't have time to interact with everybody. But he said, but if I'm a writer, I individually focus on the development of every character in the story. And if you don't know that for yourself, understand it now. God is intimately engaged in every single part of your life. This week, the ninja was in our home, and our stomach was hurting such. The, the food kept playing commercials about TV, the food, the TV kept playing commercials about food, and, and what at one time was pleasurable became nauseous. But God was there, even though our house probably didn't smell the best. Our little apartment needed a lot of air freshener, but Jesus didn't leave us. He's there. And the point you have to get to in your life is to understand that is enough. That's the exceedingly great reward. If you remember the Levites, they didn't get land The Levites only got God. That was their reward. The fact that God is with you. You have to have the perspective that, my goodness, what a great reward I have. And he's there with you now. If you're willing to make yourself vulnerable to him. We're in Matthew chapter 4. And remember, we're going over the next year, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we're going through Jesus' teachings. We have to understand he taught with his words, but he also taught with his actions. He's revealing the gospel of the kingdom to the entire area. If you go to the book of Matthew, remember Matthew himself was a tax collector, wrote the book of Matthew in a sense. That's what most people believe. He, we believe, wrote in shorthand. So he had the capacity to write down more of Jesus' teachings than all the other gospel writers. He, Matthew, focused most of his teaching in Jesus when he's in Galilee. Some people think probably the mid to early, mid part of Jesus' ministry time. John focused on a different area. I think he's in Judea. But Matthew here is focusing on Jesus as the lion. Remember, Matthew's audience are Jews. So when you see Jesus here in Matthew, he is the Messiah, the anointed now, we have to understand this was prophesied from Genesis chapter, thir- chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. The seed of a woman, that he would come and overcome Satan's works. And every Jewish person, every Jewish woman thought maybe their child would be the Messiah. But more specifically, it was from the line of Judah that the Messiah would come. Now, we know when David came, people thought, hey, This is the guy. He's the Messiah. But we saw even in David's own heart, the same sickness of sin was there. And we realized really quickly, David ain't the one. Jesus came as the Messiah, the anointed, the promised king. And the people during this time had this perspective that when Jesus came, he would help the Jewish nation overcome the Roman legions and take over the world. They thought when Jesus came, he would sit down right in the temple, and that would be his, in a sense, throne, where he would reign and rule throughout the entire planet. 
So obviously they thought when Jesus came, he would hang out with who? The officials. The elite. You would think if God comes down to the earth, God would hang with the top. The cool people. Michael, where's Sean Siri? If he's in here, I'm going to get... So, here we go. <laughs> so, Michael Jordan came a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you, I was a big Michael Jordan fan growing up all my life. Michael Jordan, I love Michael Jordan. And eventually I stopped loving him, but then I saw him again, so I fell in love with him again, right? So, so Michael Jordan was here for a mom or Sean's uh, jersey retirement. And I'm like, oh, it's Michael Jordan. So, this is me. I have my phone, and I'm recording him. Like, I am literally... Standing up, like he's, I'm like recording him. He's probably like, oh my, here's one of those guys. Nevertheless, I'm recording because I'm like, that's Michael Jordan. I'm geek. I'm putting on like Facebook and I'm LinkedIn and all. Michael Jordan. And then finally, I'm like, okay, I got enough Michael Jordan. I bother him and I'll leave him alone. Then Sean was like, let's go get his autograph. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm saying, no, I don't want to get his autograph because he'll reject us. I don't want to get rejected by Michael Jordan. I want to have good thoughts of Michael. When I think Michael Jordan, I want to think good things. I don't want to have that feeling of, oh, I got rejected at the rim by Jordan. Um, Sean Siri talked me into it. Sean, this is for you. So I'm like, Sean's like, come on. He, it's okay. It's, he'll, he'll, you know, he's sitting down. I'm like, Sean, no. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go. So we started going up to Michael Jordan. You know, I'm like, oh, Michael Jordan. And his bodyguard goes, stop. <laughs> And I go, oh, my gosh, I just got rejected by Jordan. And I walk away with the head hung down. Now, I understand Michael Jordan is famous. He's building all the great things, you know, and he needs security, whatever, whatever. But Michael Jordan wouldn't even hang with me. Michael Jordan. God came down. And he made himself available to the broken. I'm not trying to pick on Michael Jordan at all, but that is normal for the world. The world doesn't cross caste systems. The world says, I am affluent. As a result, I stay here and I only engage with those people who are up here. But if you find yourself below my little caste, I won't have much to do with you. But Jesus, think about this. I, I wish I was a great speaker to tell you the weight of this scenario. God came down and went to the broken, the poor, the lowest. And since we are the body of Christ, we should do the same. That's the Lord. He's talking. Trying to wake people up. (laughs) Let's go on here. So it says, then his fame went throughout all Syria. Now, why did his fame go out through all Syria? So remember chapter 4 at the beginning, he has this issue with being tempted by Satan. And then after he was tempted by Satan, he went and started preaching in Galilee, teaching and preaching. And as he went teaching and preaching, he eventually got followers, the sons of thunder. And then after that, He went and started healing people. Now, once he started healing people, this phenomenon started happening called popularity. Now, Jesus is getting popular. Now, something peculiar happens in the text where before he came down to the world, he went out to people. He went to Galilee. 
He went to find people. He kept going to people, going to people. But once he started healing people, something happened. They started following him. His whole ministry changed. People thought he was the Messiah. They liked the way he speak. But once he started healing, it was a game changer. This guy can meet my needs. This guy can help me. But it's the quality of the individual that followed him, which is what we're going to take note about today. The scriptures, if you take them as they are, not try to read your theology in it, just take it as it is. It shows you the makeup of the individuals who follow Jesus. These people weren't the elite, the upper echelon. This wasn't Herod. This wasn't Caesar. Look at the nature of these people. It says, then his fame went through all, throughout all Syria. And then they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And, all, and those people who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, this is the point. Great multitudes followed them. Now, these great multitudes are made up of these. These sick and broken people. These are Jesus' first followers. Jesus is not saying, no, 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 you're going to make my ministry look bad. You just don't necessarily fit in the right social strata. No, no, no. These people came to Jesus, and because they came, they were willing and open to receive from him, and they did. And now they have an opportunity to hear the gospel of the kingdom. See, we have to understand these great multitudes, I said earlier, weren't the elite. They weren't the people who would probably make us comfortable. They were the ones who had no hope. That's the point the Scripture is saying. Think about it. In this day and time, if you have these different afflictions, you're in trouble. Today, you're in trouble, right? Today, if you have these diseases or torments, if you have demon possession, you know you're going to get locked up for demon possession. If you're epileptic, paralytic, if you are sick, today you're in trouble unless God heals you or the doctors can heal you. But most of these ailments here in that day were a death sentence. In a sense, when you go to the Old Testament and you understand how God was to be approached, you see once again how radical this is. Why? Because remember in the Old Testament, there were two types of, in a sense, issues that kept you from God's presence. One was if you had a moral issue. The other one, if you were ceremonially unclean. And if you were ceremonially unclean, these things are the reasons, in a sense, that line up with being that way. Being ceremonially unclean hindered you from going into God's presence. And because of that, there had to be a sacrifice or something made to help you get pure so you can go back into God's presence. Here are radical ideas happening. Think about it. In order to go into God's presence in the Old Testament, you had to be right with God. And without being ceremonially clean, you could not have access to God. But if you go to the book of Ezekiel, something crazy happens. There's this image of this temple, and from this temple, this water starts to come out of the temple, and it begins to purify everything, and eventually this water leads to the Dead Sea, 
and even purifies the Dead Sea. We see in Isaiah a similar thing. Isaiah realizes when he's in God's presence, I am unclean. And then something amazing happens again. A seraphim comes with a coal and places it on Isaiah's mouth, and he is cleansed. The point is this. God prophesied that he would be the one who would purify those in the future. There would no longer be a need to be ceremonially clean to come to God because he himself would be the purifier of those who are defiled. The river is God, is Jesus. Now the river is us. We are the ones who represent God. We go to the world and purify the world. Our responsibility is to continue to trust God, not to hold ourselves up inside our castle, but to engage the world regardless of what social strata they may be in so that they can find purity from this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. I got a couple points that were done for the day. Jesus was the only hope for those whose society deemed hopeless. Understand, during this day and time, these people had no hope at all. There was no place they could go get comfort. They didn't have aspirin. They, have t- they didn't have Robitussin. They didn't have Pepto-Bismol. They, they were in trouble. Now they see this guy, the Messiah, coming, healing people. And they said, hope. There's hope. Now, there were these radical people who had this thought, if I could just get this sick person to G, why would you bring a sick person to a rabbi? That's not the, usually people flee rabbis because they didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. But Jesus had the power to heal those who came to him. Jesus is the only hope for those who are hopeless. And that's the point Jesus Christ died on the cross. He overcame our greatest enemy, death. And because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we have hope in every single situation possible. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Next point, Jesus cares about all humanity, even those who are not beneficial to society. Jesus cares about everyone. There's not one single person who Jesus doesn't care about. The problem is, do we believe it? Do we believe that Jesus Christ cares about us all? Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, because what do we ask the question, Epicurus, put it out there. If God is all good, then what? Why does evil exist? So they say, well, evil, either God doesn't exist, or he's not a good God. But we realize that premise is not factual. It's not accurate. We know that God uses suffering for his greater good. He's a good God, but he's ultimately wise. And God in his ultimate wisdom can use any single scenario that we may face. Help us to become like Jesus. You may be going through a painful experience right now. God is still sovereign even over your situation. The point for you is, do you trust him? Is he good just in the book of the Bible? Or is he good in your heart? 
God can help you win that fight, that battle. Your responsibility is to be faithful to him despite what it looks like, despite how it feels. So what are we to do? Be like Jesus. Help those who cannot be helped. I'm a homebody. Anybody know what a homebody is? That means I'm <laughs> I'm a homebody introvert. I say it all the time. Like, I like being at home. I'm good. I almost got TVs in all the house. I overcame my wife's wishes. <laughs> you know how to throw that out there. I got TVs in almost every room now, so I go in any room and hide. And my wife knew what I was doing. She was like, you don't need a TV in that office? I was like, babe, I need it because my daughter is coming up here, right? She was like, TV in all the rooms. I can go and just lay down and kick my feet up and Netflix and chill by myself. <laughs> in, the, in the right way. Get me around. <laughs> we are rated PG-13 church, just so you know that. <laughs> but nevertheless, I can't live like that. I can live a good life, you all. I can stay home. I can be good. I could play some video games, watch some TV, read some books. I'm saying, I'm good. But Jesus came out of his shell to serve us. And now more than ever, we have to come out of our shell to serve others. I know you got plans. You got vacation plans. And you got hangout plans. And you got house upgrade plans. Praise God. Do them. Just make sure from time to time you leave your shell those that need help. Why do we need to do it? So hopeless people can find their hope. There are people in here who I'm guessing you've been hopeless before and you know that darkness that overwhelms you. It's like you're, you can't breathe, right? It's like you're sitting down you're like, I'm about to suffocate. Those people need the Lord because He's the only one that can help them out. Now, you can get out of hopeless situations in other ways, right? You can you can cope. Find these mechanisms to help you numb the pain. But that's not healthy. And that doesn't bring you to life. And that's why Jesus came. Give you hope. So you represent God's love to the world before you represent his wisdom. People need God's love. There's a lot of information out there, but not a lot of people love it like God. So what am I saying? We need to show charity as well as be orthodox. And there's not a lot of people out there specializing in that. It's hard to walk that line. It'll be a radical change. Change your life and ours. But you might, you may find yourself in the minority and not the majority. But it's okay. It's a straight, narrow road anyway. But Jesus is the end of that road. Endurance. Let's pray. Is there anyone here today that you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? you haven't surrendered yourself to him, if you're here today, there's an opportunity for you 
to come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, will you just really briefly raise your hand and put it down and we'll pray for you. Is there one today? Is there anyone today you've, you walked away from the Lord and you want to come back? Is there one person here today? Just raise your hand and put it down and we'll pray for you. I see that hand. Church, I'm going to ask you all to pray with me, please. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Fill me. I turn from my purpose. I repent of my sin. And I turn toward you. You're my king and my Lord. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.